The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. In this installment, we'll talk about all the small things, the tweaks, adjustments, and adaptations players make and which matter. But before we get to the good stuff, Alexander, how you doing? Not too bad, Matt. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Coming up on the end of the school year, so that's always very exciting for the teachers. Mm, uh, yep. Bidding farewell to this year's. Although I teach seventh grade, so uh, I bid them farewell, and then they come back and bug me in the hallway when they're eighth graders next year. But uh, it's a nice place to be because I'm not actually saying goodbye. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember doing exactly that. Um, (laughs) This is oddly kind of when things pick up for me. Um, I Mm. have a lot of like tutoring and like. SAT teaching stuff that's actually getting really busy right now because yeah. all the kids aren't as busy anymore. Yeah, right. So, They've uh, got time. Parents want to keep them busy, want to keep the brains engaged. So well, that's good for you. Business is up. Yeah, something like that. So uh, <laughs> um, um, I actually had my very first student in my office, like actual in-person teaching experience uh, oh, for a long time. So How'd that go? Um, great. It's I'm a sort of person who has a very interesting physical energy as a teacher where, <laughs> you know, I want to be able to write on a whiteboard. Whiteboards are fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I want to be able to like, um, if I'm blocking out a sentence, throw up a binder in front of a word and be like, okay, how does the sentence change here? And there's some physical comedy to that. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That right? be, being in person is definitely, but well, I was in person for a lot of this year, but I still couldn't do my normal tricks. So I'm looking yeah. forward to a, a summer where things get uh, much, much better and a, a fall next year where, um, Things can really be back to a, an actual normal. So I've been physically in the building most of the school year this year, but uh, you know, doing things like group work and hands-on stuff and sharing resources and physical proximity and making sure kids are six feet apart and all that is really it throws a monkey wrench into what you Hell normally yeah. do. So it, yeah, I mean, it's it's been maybe more normal than what you've been doing, but that's with air quotes for those of you at home uh, around yeah. normal. Now the busyness of it all did mean that I actually had to turn down an offer to go to the Orioles game on Sunday when they scored 18 runs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was also like 95 degrees in a day game on a Sunday. Not my favorite of all different varieties of games to go to, I should say. 
Sure. Yeah. Super hot. I, I I did a game at Fenway once and I, I really felt like I was literally melting into the seat, but you know mm-hmm. what? Baseball, it's baseball. It's fun. Um, I'm actually very excited for what we're going to do here with this episode to, uh, tonight while we're recording tonight. I don't know when you're listening at home. It might be the daytime. So, you know, I don't want to make any assumptions. Um, but, uh, we're going to throw together an episode here where we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff. Uh, this one may wind up being a little bit more regular baseball focused and centric rather than fantasy, but wherever we can kind of come up with actionable, um, information or takeaways from what we're going to talk about, we will do our best to inject that in, but, uh, follow us for the, to the end on this one. I think this is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, so what I want to do to start off, we'll start with the bell ringer and then we'll move through this pretty quickly into the kind of smorgasbord. Is that how you say that? Smorgas or smorgas? I don't know. All of the above. All of the, we'll go with cornucopia. There's a cornucopia of things we're going to talk about here (laughs) and, uh, we'll get to that, to all that, but let's start with, uh, talking a little bit about ride. Um, this is a, a term that's used to describe, uh, kind of, the velocity as well as spin rate, um, the the perception that a pitch is actually uh, maybe even rising a little bit when it's physically not, uh, or that it's staying a little bit. It looks like it's staying up when it should be dropping. It's more of like a, I guess, an optical illusion. But talk a little bit more about ride because we're gonna need this for context when we move into our number of the week. So I actually want to kind of like shout out some good analysis that um, I think kind of runs contrary to like some of the data I like that also kind of goes in here. Um, a guy by the name of John Means, you might have heard about mm. him and how he almost but didn't actually throw a perfect game. Yeah. So John <laughs> Means um, does not throw the ball exceptionally hard. Mm-hmm. Um, what John Means does do really well, though, with his fastball is he makes the ball spin well. That spin and you know, like air physics basically means that the ball resists um dropping Dropping, a little bit yeah Yeah, basically um just kind of like how the air cushions it you know it's like it's i don't know plane wings something like that i don't know i didn't like physics Um, but basically john (laughs) means his fastball is consistently above where batters expect it to be and if you want to know how you successfully become a fly ball or pop out pitcher it's by having a really exceptional fastball ride um fastballs move very fast and they don't move that much so if you can get them time you can hit them very far i think you may know um so a lot of good i can't they can yeah that's true Um, yeah a lot of really good pitchers have a lot of ride on their fastballs essentially to kind of like you know in addition to making the ball move very quickly and kind of throwing off hitters timing they also kind of keep it from being where the batters would expect a standard fastball of that velocity to be yeah which in turn means they swing a little bit below it and rather than like cranking it into the seats they crank it into the left fielder's glove comfortably yeah right 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 or shorter less sweet spot less barrel more um just missed it kind of thing yeah 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 yeah. so this is important because uh what i want to talk about with uh our number of the week it has to do with ride and spin rate so here's the number i'm going to give it to you it's it's 2436 um and that represents cole um garrett cole's Average fastball spin rate in his last game, the game that came right after Major League Baseball decided they were going to enforce some more of these uh, foreign substance, sticky substance type of rules. And it was down from 2561, which was the average of the averages of each of the last games that he had pitched on his fastball. This is fastball only, but it was it was across the board on on uh, spin rate yeah. on so a lot of pitches. 
it's down 130 RPM in one game. Um, Aver- now, yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. for Bauer, just to throw this in for context, because everybody likes to talk about Bauer, and you know, some people say like, you know. He's the hero or the villain of certain stories, and you know Trevor Bauer, the baseball pitcher, versus Trevor Bauer, the the off the field human being. We can flesh that out. There's no need to split those hairs here for this conversation. I bring him up simply because he has talked a lot about spin rate and and sticky substances, and so it makes a lot of sense to talk about him. And his spin rate was down 233 RPMs uh, on his fastball in his last start as well. So let's talk a little bit about spin rate, um, sticky substances, where we're at with all of this. Uh, We'll take the conversation wherever it goes. That's fine. But I I do want to link it a little bit to ride because – uh, if spin rate is down, that's going to affect ride. So certain players that rely on that, maybe like a John Means, if he happens to be using this sticky stuff, which there's no evidence he is. Let's, yeah, I'm just throwing I just this out there out. as an example. Yeah. If that's his bread and butter, and he was, and his spin rate suddenly drops by two, three, four hundred, his ride is going to be impacted. He might become more hittable. So there's there's where the actionable piece kind of comes into it. Um, anyway, I said a lot of things, so I'm going to stop talking and let you take this in whatever direction you want to go in. Yeah. So I also want to like throw in a potential other effect you would throw out. Um, Mm -hmm. people use the sticky stuff to get a feel for the ball. Um, another thing that was kind of happening with Bauer is that he seemed like he was really struggling with location. Um, one of the things that I think makes the conversation about sticky stuff on baseballs interestingly complicated is that a lot of batters and a lot of pitchers seem to be okay with the idea that you can have a little bit of something that's not too crazy um, to kind of just make sure that the ball doesn't hit people in the head. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure like most people kind of draw the line there within the sport. Now, mind you, both of us in our long and illustrious Major League Baseball <laughs> careers really seem to like, have an eye into what everyone's saying here. But, you know, uh, Cardinals manager uh, Mike Schilt uh, had like a press conference after a big blow up involving uh, Giovanni Gallegos' hat was confiscated because of potential sticky substances. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that some people don't love to make the, uh, the old school Cardinals, the good guys in a conversation. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he had some very choice words about how the difference between, like, a little bit of rosin and sunscreen is much different from pine tar. And I don't think he said that in, like, really specific terms. So I'm just, you Mm -hmm. know, is it possible that maybe he had some sunscreen to protect from melanoma? Really, really funny (laughs) quotes there. Um, I think that we can, as rational people, kind of, if we're given a reason to discern that's, like, real, maybe decipher between those different things. So, like, you know. If everyone's kind of using a little bit of something sticky to get a consistent grip on the ball, because, uh, you know, they come out fresh without, like, a whole lot of scuffs or anything to kind of, like, yeah, really yeah, yeah, get your yeah. finger on. I think there's a difference between that if it's been kind of leading to, like, the long-term since the dawn of time results versus the um, near, like, spitball level results that you get whenever you have a bunch of pine tar on your fingers and, you know, like, the ball is so tacky that, you know the joke would be that it just sticks to the bat instead of, uh, you know, going into the uh, bleachers. Yeah, 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 um, right. Yeah, I mean, there's p- been pictures that people have gotten of balls, like, sort of stuck to, like, catcher's equipment and things like that, which are, I mean, it does sort of hint at the fact that this is more than just a little sunscreen to make sure you get a feel. And uh, baseballs are 
are like treated. They're not straight out of the boxes. There's like, uh, I think one, one group of people, they have very specific mud that comes from a very specific place. It's actually pretty interesting. You wouldn't think that this, a story about mud and baseballs would be interesting, but it actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're like pre treated with all of that to try and, and, and give the pitchers and the players a little bit of a feel. It's not just an out of the box baseball, but um, you know, like the the big thing that's been coming out is talking about this very specific product called Spider Tack, which uh, I I mean I guess their marketing is you can put it on your hands and climb a wall like Spider Man. I, I I'm guessing that's the that's the name, uh, I hope but so. it seems to fun. I mean it sounds pretty cool, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm not saying that they claim you can do that, but I, I feel like that's the image they're trying to conjure. Um, like if if you're going to say it's okay to cheat a little bit how in the world do you draw a line as to where cheating is acceptable and then cheating's not shouldn't there just be a, an overhaul and and take this out of the realm of being unwritten to written so that everybody knows what's acceptable so that everybody can can do what they need to do to get the feel and and do the things that everybody's okay with without crossing the line and, and just make it much clearer instead of this like nebulous baseball thing that we seem yeah, to yeah, always yeah. do where it's like, oh, well, that's an unwritten rule that everybody knows, except some people are okay with it and some people aren't. And so now we're going to have this beanball, you know, back yeah, and forth yeah, war yeah, yeah. and we're going to suddenly mid-season change the rules on how we're enforcing things. Like, I just, I just... It, that's my biggest problem with all of yeah. this. I like I'm actually a very rules oriented person. Yeah. So yeah. like the idea that people are cheating bothers me on its face. Um, but I'm not in, in MLB. So if everybody's sort sort of okay with a certain level of this, then why not just incorporate that in? So nobody has to break the rule. Everybody's fine with it. And we actually have an enforceable rule that, that we can do with consistency instead of like this selective enforcement. Um, that's yeah, the part yeah. that bothers me a lot. Well, you mean like think of it this way, right? Um, you know, like you're um a friend who's like helping your college friends who are like really drunk and twenty years old at a party. Um <laughs> you know, like there's this sort of like I've been doing the wrong thing a little bit, maybe, but the if we want to make people's lives better version of things is to like speak up call an ambulance and make sure that someone doesn't like die of alcohol poisoning right sure Um, this is an awkward uh, example alex but i'm going to follow you down the rabbit hole because that's what friends do um you know (laughs) we kind of accept in a lot of situations here where someone might have been doing the wrong thing a little bit but like as long as you in the long run kind of put yourself in a situation where you're doing the right things um a good world is we reward that person. Maybe there are a yeah, lot of good yeah, laws yeah. that have been written recently that basically allow people to like not get in trouble for calling 911 in those situations, right? Yeah. Um, right. I think the way that you might hear like the Cardinals talking about it, it's like, yeah, people might have been breaking the rules, um, but we need to make sure that the end result here is, you know, that our, our, our sport, you know, isn't in a really damaged place because of this stuff. And it's kind of like a, a hazy thing, but I do think that's like one of the most common we're choosing to kind of like have an open open conversation about like the maybe little bits of cheating that are happening that really aren't at the end of the day that big of a deal because everyone's kind of doing it um i think that what you're kind of getting at there when you're talking about rules right is it bothers you that we exist in a world where a lot of people break them and so you would just rather recodify the rules so that the people who are doing something that's like acceptable to everyone seemingly is like not against the rules anymore 
Like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, on a large scale, for like a societal place, I, I, you can't do that for everything. But this is seems like pretty easy, right? Like, here's yeah. here's a substance that are is everybody cool with it? All in favor, say aye. Yes, you can use this, like a rosin bag, rosin and been, sunscreen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. been allowed forever, right? So. Uh, you know, it, it, maybe it's spider tack. I don't know. Maybe they can get a sponsorship. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But um, I guess this just seems like it's a specific enough case where you could just kind of say, all right, here is what a pitcher can use uh, in order to better have a grip because when you're throwing a ball at 98 miles an hour, you want to make sure you know where it's going. Uh, but anything that goes beyond this uh, is going to be punished significantly and severely and harshly because it's i mean i don't know i guess you could equate this to like a speed limit right like speed limit's 30 some cops will pull you over at 42 some cops will pull you over at 35 some cops will pull you over at 50 um and we just all kind of accept that and live with it and i get that that that's just kind of the way people live but this i don't know this just feels like rather than making it another thing in baseball just a dumb thing that distracts from the on-field product, uh, a dumb thing that gets people arguing. Uh, not that people on Twitter need an excuse to argue, but you know, you know what I mean. It just sort of yeah. causes dissent and takes people away from the product and puts a bad taste in people's mouths. Just fix it. Just fix it. It seems like it's a really easy thing yeah. to just fix. Yeah. So I think like the moving parts that make this really difficult aren't um, all that hard to track down. I, I think first is like an obvious and probably reasonable mistrust of. Um, major league baseball's front offices to do the right thing like i recall the it probably happened before i'm born let's be honest uh during tarkanian <laughs> joke you know the ncaa is so mad at kentucky they're going to give cleveland state another year of probation right <laughs> that seems like what's happening with the cardinals like they're really mad at trevor bauer for basically telling everyone hey guys i'm cheating here's the here's what i said a couple years ago here are my results following exactly in the way that i said like what happened Mm -hmm. um come and get me and if not i'm going to get paid and they're angry about that and they're also spineless people right you know you can look in a lot of different directions and it does not seem as though manfred wants to police the sport for the most part except in some really weird places so like you get this place where like there's a lot of really petty fighting yeah the result then it seems like you know they're not policing any fair and equitable and the big guys get punished for doing the thing because let's think come back like to the statistical and the blah 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 on field results thing Mm -hmm. like we're leading to a place where it seems like a couple of the super early guys out there um not a couple of the guys who are barely hanging on but a couple of the super elite guys are the face of this sort of problem right yeah if it's bauer and cole and you know realistically probably another couple guys in that conversation that are doing the really bad thing um that is a different political fight for Manfred to have than if it's uh, David Peterson or yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, I, that, I guess that just makes it guys wor- actually makes it worse out. for me that you know we're gonna let it slide more because it's affecting the guys that we want to be the face of the game, especially since they mismanage the face of the game anyway in so many different ways. That's a different discussion, but um, I don't know. It just it, it's it's kind of like. Uh, it just feels like parents who are like, well, my kid's going to do this. And okay, well, kids are kids. Like, well, well, kids, yeah, kids are kids and they need parents to tell them not to do that. That's how they uh, keep them from growing up to be adults that act like kids. 
Um, and so like, like Man- Manfred's in a position of power and influence and that's his job. Like do your job. If you don't want to do your job, fine, get out of the way. Let somebody yeah. else do it then. Yeah. I, I think there's gotta be that sort of like really passionate response from a lot of us. Like reasonably speaking, I find myself often in the position where I just get quite annoyed and just don't want to have the conversation anymore because you know the cynicism takes over but you know we're in a place right now they know something's broken they probably don't want to admit it here and you know like may um in the way that like they know that if things really really hit the fan like we're gonna have a whole lot of really weird things happen like two of the best pitchers on two of the biggest market teams who are supposed to both be good um yankees inability to hit with guys on base side (laughs) um you know that that creates some serious serious problems and and you can't um dismiss the fact that these are like it's sport political it matters um because it will affect how they handle it right or wrong right but they also let it get here too there was no need for it to have gotten to this place this could have been dealt with years and years ago yeah, yeah. And I think that when I bring all this up, it's not to excuse it. Right. It's no, not to tell us to disregard it. It's just for us to kind of like make predictions about what happens next. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, like if, if you if invested a lot of draft capital in Bauer and all of a sudden his spin rate's down three, four hundred mm, RPM. Okay, there we go. You know, that, that stinks. And listen, not like fantasy baseball matters as much as like human lives and people's careers and health and all of that. We know that. But that it is frustrating. It is frustrating that suddenly rules are, are going to – I mean, I guess rules didn't change mid-game, but changing the way you enforce a rule mid-game is, is this effectively the same thing. Maybe even worse because people go into it thinking it's one thing and suddenly it's different. I don't know. The whole thing just screams of, like, disgusting mess that could have easily been – uh, proactively dealt with and addressed in a pretty easy and reasonable way and just wasn't and now it's it's just gross and, and everywhere yeah I, I think one of the questions that kind of spins off from this uh first of all it's just like how am i supposed to be a good fan right now um yeah how am i supposed to be the sort of person who no uh, don't just tweet mean things that beat reporters that's a whole separate thing but you know how am i supposed to be someone who can kind of just sit on my couch or you know sit in like camden yards and have a frank discussion with it like my friends while we're watching the game like yeah you know here's garrett cole striking out you know the eighth oriole of the inning seemingly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like how that am i supposed to feel about that yeah a lot of, um, a lot of dropped third strikes there that catcher's that catcher's going back to triple a um, yeah, yeah gary sanchez really needs some work apparently in this in this hypothetical you know but you know if we're, if we're supposed to be good fans um I think we have to be able to kind of assemble a lot of the information and figure out how like the patterns over time tell us to put it together. And the patterns over time tell us that the MLB, the MLB, let's also annoy some other people. I like to say that when I say <laughs> I the MLB, I mean, I mean, I mean Manfred uh, when I say the MLB, um, <laughs> deal with it. um, you know, we're being realistic about like, um, they have shown us who they are and it was honest to believe them the first time and we're on you know 30 or 40 yeah but it doesn't mean we have to like it It, and it doesn't mean that we have to you know just swallow it and and listen i know that we can't make everything predictable and i wouldn't want to and i know that we can't iron out every wrinkle in the game but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take care of the ones we can and and to have such a blase attitude about something that seems so uh readily fixable just screams bad management at that level and like just another example of just a bad job 
Yeah, no, I think that my role in this discussion is to say that, see that guy over there on the other end of the Zoom call? His anger is justified because of X, Y, Z. And, um, you know, that's all this is. You know, being smart about baseball means being willing to listen to information that makes reliable prediction. We don't like data because it has numbers. We like data because it tells us about the future reliably, and we're curious about the future. We care about the future. Uh, so, like, this whole... Sticky stuff, spin rate discussion. You can't have it without understanding how Manfred and Co. kind of operate. You can't under you can't understand what's going to happen without knowing how MLB politics happen. Um, and I think that like another part of it that I think is really interesting is you you can't have it without understanding that like the impacts of it seem pretty severe right now, in particular because like hitters kind of suck. Um, mm. Pitchers seem like they're way op and need to be nerfed devs um to, to put that in some real real great um phraseology um and, and that's generational like part lingo going on there <laughs> yeah uh for for sure I, I i'm not on my parents health insurance anymore i don't know if i'm really allowed <laughs> to say those things um but realistically like we sit in this place where it looks like we need to pick a fix for pitchers being too good i've kind of been in the Let's scooch the mound on back a little bit because I do like to see pitchers move, but I do think that hitters having a little bit more time to like react to them would be nice too. Um, but you know, just making pitchers less disgustingly filthy because they don't all have equal and by the book access to that filthiness is a really a like fair seeming way to deal mm, with that. Right. That also maybe doesn't come with the shoulder and elbow concerns that people seem to throw out with the move the mound back. Um, proposals which i am willing to listen to right yeah those injuries concerns being real so like all told um there are just so many different reasons to be on board with the idea of fixing this problem by cracking down in some way that's fair and consistent i think my bias is just to believe that they're going to bungle it again and again um so (laughs) so you're just fine at each because it's 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 expected and managing expectations is important so if your expectations are managed then fine i just i don't know it's just the whole idea of i'm just gonna let things go and see how things shake out and then shake my finger at it afterwards just is not working I'm also not all that powerful in the MLB's like no. grand scheme of yeah. things. I think mm. that's part of it. It doesn't seem like um, Manfred is either, so <laughs> you got that yeah. in common. Maybe maybe we can hope that the collective hatred for Trevor Bauer among his peers will lead to a situation where they're willing to agree to a set of enforceable rules that um basically uh you know messes with him. Uh, his hatred for Garrett Cole and then everyone else's hatred of him leads to reform. Is that a pathway that we can endorse? I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, listen, I, I'm also not preaching that I know everything and that every single uh, decision is, is as easy as it might seem. But, I mean, this just seems like it's it's so specific and so focused that, like, here's one thing you're allowed to use. Move on. Anything else is not allowed, and we're just going to totally crack down on it but we're going to do it at the beginning of a season we're going to do it clearly we're going to do it with a press release we're going to uh, make it yeah. clear not nebulous anyway we've I've, I've said the saying the same things over and over again now yeah, i don't want yeah. to keep beating this yeah. dead horse but obviously i'm not thrilled with the way that they're handling this because i just yeah. don't think it's fair and it creates a situation of un, unjust enforcement um and selective enforcement which i think is actually worse than the cheating to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's pretty clear right now that they want to send a message to the big guys by punishing the little guys. And I don't like that because yeah. the little guys, um, one, are not being paid $50 million a year. Um, two, are 
probably way more um you know in need of that extra little bit of cash because of the way the cba works and uh three maybe not even be doing anything nearly as bad like the whole thing with the cardinals it doesn't even seem like we're dealing with a spider tax situation right um, right 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 right. it's not yeah, the most it's, egregious it's violation but it's the one that's going to get enforced because well we're not going to get leader. yeah pitchforks and torches over this guy but that that's that's a guy with a a family probably and, and a livelihood and a career i don't know anyway it let's... sucks that giovanni gallegos may need to be worried about a substance potentially that's not even that bad that helps reliably produce his command or yeah well trevor bowers shopping for islands and not getting in yeah. trouble for it i, I don't know yeah. it, it just doesn't exactly. seem that's super the fair. thing that ticks me off, right? there we go. <laughs> i think i think we've narrowed in Bethlehem. the stats sort of stuff of it is kind of like the less important as much as just like let's reason through it and with like the, a real sense of priority in mind yeah definitely and they seem out of whack um, all right, let's move into uh, our central question, which, it, to be fair, is is a little bit nebulous. <laughs> central. Uh, so calling it a central question may be a little oxymoronic in this particular episode, but um, it's going to be broad. But I think that gives us some flexibility to talk about some really interesting things. So uh, we're going to be kind of looking at how players adapt, tweak, evolve to get an edge, to uh, change the way that they play, to maybe give up something. And this could even be teams um, and and approaches and concepts. We're probably not going to be focusing so much in terms of actual players for case study and more concepts and ideas, although I'm sure players' names will pop up as part of the discussion. Um, But uh, again, this is going to be a little bit more real baseball-centric, a little bit less fantasy baseball-centric. But if if we bring something up that's actionable, we'll certainly uh, hit on that. But uh, I'm going to leave this up to you, Alexander, to take us away here. What's one of the first things that you'd like to, to talk about in this? What did I decide on? Was it was it smorgasbord or was it cornucopia? I can't remember. I can say cornucopia better, so we'll stick with that I think one. Buffet. Uh, We're really going to go. Captures... With, I don't know if buffet, buffet in the COVID era might not be good. That's. I don't know if those might be gone forever. Um, that's. I, I don't know how I feel about missing out on CC's pizza for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> Anyways, um, your internal organs probably know how they feel. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, actually, I think the binding glue here between these two conversations, one of which we have not yet cracked open, is right. kind of like how to be a good fan. Um, yeah. And, you know, if we're talking about like how to reasonably interpret information about sticky stuff, the other question I think that has kind of been popping up lately uh, is more about like how the game should be managed. And I really want to take a a longer look about how we can use some good statistical tools to evaluate bunting decisions, Uh, because it's something that I looked at last year and it's shown up again in a really interesting way. Um, So a couple days ago, the Royals lost a game 2-1 against the Minnesota Twins. Um, That is not all that like important or surprising in and of itself. Um, (laughs) But stay tuned. But what is surprising is that the uh, Royals did this fun thing where they um, bunted into a triple play. Yeah. Um, It was a really incredible play and just a great athletic feat actually by Miguel Sano to kind of like set it all off. Yeah. So, you know, to set the stage, we got runners on first and second um, and the Royals with no out are calling for a bunt. Um, So what happens is not exactly what you would have expected. Um, Nicky Lopez, the nine hitter, is up to bat. He squares to bunt and he pops it up. Um, I think one of the things, well, this ball is in the story in the air that we need to consider is the fact that when you bunt, um, there are a lot of really non-good things that can happen. Yeah. You can miss the ball. Um, you can bunt it like directly 
basically into like the catcher's I can pick it up and throw to third like sweet spot you can bunt it directly to the pitcher very firmly and he can do the same or you can pop it up in which no one can even advance and because you're in a bunt situation and everyone's ready to advance some bad things happen so um the kind of like discussion i want to crack open here is kind of like how we use some more like averaging the past looking back on the data rather than just on like the historical wisdom to determine what a good managerial call is um you know to kind of like set off a comparison it's a little bit different like where did you fall on the whole blake snell should have or shouldn't have been pulled out of the world series game conversation uh i, I was pretty apathetic to it i don't yeah <laughs> I, I listen yeah. i i think that the world of analytics is a very important world i think that there are uh, there's a human element to the game as well and it's not um it's not irrelevant simply because we have all of this data if it was irrelevant we would the seasons would be foregone conclusions right so somewhere in the in the in between statistical analysis and what it brings to the game there's an intersection with this human piece um and that's the sweet spot and it's a moving target and i don't know that anybody is ever going to hit it purposefully or or on purpose there that's what everybody's aiming for right is this this absolutely perfect intersection of managing the people and the numbers. Um, I think anybody who nails it on a given night or over the course of a season does so because they're constantly chasing it. Um, But I don't think it's something that is predictive enough that you can really uh, hit it reliably. And so, um, you know, I, I have a hard time getting on any manager for making a decision on either side of that because, um, they have the information we don't have. And sometimes it looks really obvious and bad and, and maybe dumb, but it also, you know, if he leaves them in and, and everything goes well, then, then we have a totally yeah, different discussion. Yeah. And that's happened yeah. before too, where, you know, oh, I can't believe he's leaving him in and wow, what a, what a great decision. What a smart move. I, I don't know. Was it, or was it just kind of like yeah. that? I it just think, happened to work out that way. So I don't know. I, anyway, I, I think what clouds that decision and why I bring it up first on purpose Mm -hmm. is that we have an incredibly small sample size unlike that. And the error bars are gigantic. Yeah. Right. It's not a decision that we can really use the past to like kind of inform our our future all that well. Bunting is different. Yeah. How many times have we had a runner on second? And, you know, we can figure out basically, especially when you're not towards the end of the games and you're just kind of just figure out like, okay, score as many runs as I can here in the third inning. Or actually, I don't know exactly which inning it was that this uh, play took place, but either way, I I don't (laughs) think it changes. Basically my, my belief is that like we can kind of distinguish between bunting in the bottom of the ninth or in extras versus bunting all other times. Yeah. Um, Right. So one of the things we can do here is use some tools that are called like run expectancy matrices. That sounds really complicated, but basically we have charts and charts and charts and charts and charts of data that tell us what the particular odds of a specific runner scoring like from second with one out. Or, um, you know, like if I have a runner on second with like no out, what are my odds of like, or like what is like the average number of runs I'm going to score in total, right? Um, and the way that these work is... Uh, really straightforward um so i'm gonna pull up a couple of some past ones just to give you guys some examples yeah while you're doing that i just want to distinguish between two different things so there's data that shows like if a runner is on second and there's one out 
what's the likelihood of that runner scoring in that scenario. Yes. And then there's <laughs> another set of data that talks about if there's a runner on second and nobody out, how many runs will that team generate? Not just from that runner, but also potential runs coming from future at bats in that same inning in that yes. scenario. And, and what's really cool, actually, about the way they do these things is that they add up. Um, so that if you have a runner on second and a runner on first and you have no out, um, the odds of the runner scoring on second and the odds of the runner scoring on first, you know, they'll add up and that contributes to your, yeah. So you might have all those like, oh, double plays influence things in the long run. Really not that much. Um, they really don't. You, we don't have to worry about them all that much to kind of get a pretty clear well, I mean, that would factor into the, the percentage of people that score. Yeah, right? but it, within that 35% tables, of people who don't are the people who are eliminated via double play. Yeah, not as many as you think. And that's sure. kind of the thing is like we think about double plays happening a whole lot. Uh, they happen a little bit less than you'd suspect. And uh, there's something to be concerned about in clutch situations, but not in the third inning in the same way. Yeah, so I think that's um, a good that's, distinction is clutch. Like I need this one run versus I'm just trying to score as many as possible. Yes, and I think that's kind of like is a nice way to kind of open um, up why we care about one versus the other, right? So I'm going to use some numbers here to kind of illustrate this. Um, and I'm going to make some assumptions and then I'm going to say that they're dumb here in a second. So I just want to like <laughs> okay. set the stage here. Okay, so... Um, you, you you like bunting a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, I, again, yeah. I think we're getting into a I generational thing, yeah. but uh, we were talking about this a little uh, before we started recording. I won't take up too much airtime with it, but I I do remember bunting being a bigger part of the game. So I guess maybe I have a little bit more of a romantic, nostalgic view of things as part of like my overall. I like small ball baseball. Um, yeah. But, runners on base yeah. are exciting. Yeah, I, I think right. that I think I've come around on that a whole lot more. That like the home runs are fun at home, and the runners on base are fun at the at the game. Yeah. So so I'm gonna give you a data point that's gonna make you a little bit happy. <laughs> so um, this is from just 2019, which is the last year that Baseball Prospectus is giving us a full season of good data. It's the last time we had a full season of data to look at. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. So 60.26 percent of um people who were on second base with no out scored so that is representative for example of like the beginning of an extra inning situation right 60 percent of the time that runner on second scores according to 2019 data the new ball blah 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 still like um the trends should still like be like consistent for people on different bases we shouldn't have to worry about the ball being dejuiced affecting like the choices here third and one out so you've bunted successfully and gotten the guy over the guy scores 65% of the time. So there's an additional 5% increase in the chance of the guy scoring um, if you choose to do this thing, and it works. If you can get your leadoff batter to successfully bunt the runner over. Which is a huge assumption. And there we go, right? Yeah. Um, bunting is really hard. Um, I think it was Ben Clemens at Fangraphs. I need to look this up. I'm going to be giving Ben credit just because I think he's cool. Um, did a really interesting um, look into how often bunts are actually successful. And you can do the same thing in StatCast uh, a little bit differently if you have the time. But like 50% of the time or so when someone actually puts their bat out and makes contact and the ball is in the field, you advance a runner. Mm. Like bunting is not easy. Yeah. Like not only like squaring the ball up and not going foul, but just Getting the guy to advance, not easy. Bunting is, I think, taken for granted as something that people can do. Um, and that basically the, this analysis then says that if you have a guy that you can really trust to bunt, maybe that's better. Now, here's the other side of this, though. Um, you swing away. 
does that increase or decrease your your dude's odds of scoring? Um, all of this is to say, this great situation that's really fun, that is a nice tactical like game for us to play that are that are on second situation, which I'm a fan of. Um, say that bunting could be a strategy that could be viable. Um, and if you like bunting, um, go be a fan of runner and second uh, and extras <laughs> like me. If you're not in that situation, though, it's laughably stupid. Uh, so let's take a look at the other type of data, which is your expected runs by situation. Um, so here we are. We have runner. This is actually first and second um, with no out. They would expect 1.5 runs to score if you just do your normal thing. Yeah. Um, do you need to manufacture offense in that situation? No. On average, 1.5 runs will score. Um and yet the Royals <laughs> did it. I think they lined into like an all-time unlucky play that really just sure. like heightens yeah. like the stupidity of all this. Like obviously this isn't how baseball. Yeah, really well, works. this is the outlier that we like to talk about, right? They're taking something to the extreme to prove the point that is maybe a little less obvious in normal gameplay. Yeah, in every different way that you slice it, if you are willingly taking on a run. To move a batter over, even if you move the batter over, you mean an you're out. expected taking on yeah. an out. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. You take yeah. on an out to move the batter, move the runners over. Your expected runs go down. So I, again, I'm just looking here like the standard. Um, only a guy on second um, versus a, a no out. That would expect like 1.4 runs, or pardon okay. me, 1.14. That's a big difference. It is a big difference. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, and then. Um, third and one out is 0.95. In other words, you're giving up two tenths of a run on average. Yeah. Um, yeah. by making that choice. No, it, it raises the floor as we saw with the other data point. Um, 5% more likely that the guy scores, but it decreases the ceiling. And if you're there in the third inning, these run expectancy matrices, they're not fancy saber metrics made up of like garbage. It's literally, here's the history <laughs> of the game and here's what's happened. Um, yeah, right. And this is still assuming those best case, my bunt doesn't epically fail, and I get left with guy on second with one out. Perhaps. Right, which really reduces that. So seven tenths of a run. That's yeah, four tenths of a run gone. Right. Yeah, point yeah, four yeah, runs yeah, gone. Right, right. Big drop off. So there is very low upside. There is, uh, you know, maybe you're in a situation where like there's some sort of weird shift on for your lefty batter, which there shouldn't be with a guy on second. Um, yeah, right, yeah. right. That changes the probability of the outcome. Okay. Yeah. But then you're talking about somebody getting potentially being yeah, able to get like on base. Yeah, talking about like those like stealth right? bunts where like people aren't expecting the bunt and you Yeah, you but like... that's for bunting for a hit. That's not bunting for a yeah, 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 yeah. right? Yeah, that's a that's a best case scenario where like the opposing defense is doing something stupid and your your lefty batter um is able to square a bunt away up the the left field line like i actually really love those plays by the way that yeah, is one of my yeah, yeah. favorite plays in baseball is when the the guy bunts successfully because those people are are shifted like that because they are expected they're not and i think it's just delightful um, i know <laughs> yeah. that it's not necessarily statistically all that meaningful i don't know a lot of batters shouldn't even be prepared for it right because like bunting's very hard to do and bunting up the line is very hard to do right right you may as well just do the thing you already practice all the time and i think that's kind of like the other side of this is like you know, people practice hitting. Yeah. People don't have many opportunities to bunt that it would be a good idea to. So you probably don't need to practice it, which makes employing it as a strategy all the more kind of silly. And even when you practice it, you're probably not practicing it against the kind of pitches that are coming in at you <laughs> oh in a game situation, right? So <laughs> oh my God. what it sounds like yeah. it's, it's, uh, there are some situations where it marginally improves the chances that you'll score a run. So 
the only time that makes sense to do it is when that run has a lot more value than subsequent runs would have. So like in the bottom of the ninth inning where I don't need to score 1.5 runs, one will yeah, do or it. Or the bottom of the 10th, bottom right. of the 11th. Right? Any of those or, almost like a sudden death quote unquote type yeah, of situation. Or, or maybe you're playing it really safe because you really trust your pitching and you want to score in the top of the 10th, right? I yeah. can see that, you know, because you've got Josh Hader coming up. I think got... anytime you're in extras, a run, a scoring, you'd have to look at what the likely, the win-loss is, scoring one run versus zero runs, right, yeah. in the top of a, of an inning, right? And I, I would imagine it probably increases your win probability pretty significantly to just plate a single run in extras, even if you're the visiting team. Actually, here's a funny thing. <laughs> so, um, how many runs should you expect the opposing team to score on average um, in the top of the tenth? One point one four. That's what the <laughs> no. Yeah, I'm I'm joking here yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. but I'm also not right. So, like, there's this strategy and counter strategy, and and actually, I think this is what makes a lot of modern baseball potentially so interesting. Is that if we have smart managers making smart moves, you land in these situations where they know that they can do something that we wouldn't expect, but it's a smart decision. We've seen several managers walk the bases loaded with a runner on third right um because they know that the only runner that matters is the guy on third the yeah. people that you walk onto second and first don't matter so jace tingler pulled that out in his recent uh game and the padres won and it was really cool yeah um because well, it's just like obviously this is the right decision to make go do it yeah uh, but yeah. even when it's obviously the right decision let's say it's 80 20 percent right like you're going with the 80 yeah, yeah, percent yeah. There's still always a chance it doesn't work, and that's, I think, where we kind of focus is, oh, what a boneheaded play. Well, it just happened to fall inside the 20% of times that it doesn't work, but that doesn't mean it was dumb. It just means it didn't pan out. Yeah, and and that kind of gets back to that can of worms I wanted to open up here at the beginning, which I think we kind of have really, like, used all of them on this. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I'm not going to finish that metaphor. Um, How to be a good fan. Yeah. Um, And... I don't necessarily know that my emotional way of being a fan is always the most productive. Um, there's something about, um, you know, seeing Rio Rees and uh, Hans or Alberto out there that really just um, gets me to be a more cynical person. Um, like he's not even, like, those guys aren't even on, <laughs> aren't even like the cause of the problems. Well, I, I you know. I'll say this. If you are abandoning the human element completely to the point that you are, write about baseball but you've sucked all the fun out of it then what's the point right i mean unless you're getting paid to do that unless you're making a bunch of money to sit in a room and figure out these stats and feed them to the managers and to the teams then fine Sounds fun to me yeah yeah but um you know if you're going to a game you didn't spend 150 or 200 dollars on on each ticket and plus parking and hot dogs and all of this stuff to go there and be like well i mean statistically speaking this is the right you know you want to see your team be <laughs> yeah. exciting and fun and, yeah, and engaging yeah, yeah. so um you know I, we're not trying to make this uh institutional uh, like cold and, and and disconnected from the human humanity of the game i think that's the fun part of it right but i do think that in the context of understanding why something happened you can be disappointed that your team didn't prevail but it doesn't also by nature make it a dumb decision yeah. just because it didn't work out the way you wanted it to yeah i th- i think what's important and easy to take away here is um when someone makes the wrong decision and it goes poorly, 
we can talk about it and make fun of them. Or if you're a fan, you can be annoyed and say that they should be fired. Sure. And that's how you be a good fan is you get upset at the right things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, um, when your team has like an 85% chance to win and some fluky thing happens, you just yell a lot. You don't say our team needs to trade everyone. Uh, I mean, not seriously. But, you know, <laughs> you, you see those guys who are like, um, you know, I like to joke that there are a lot of people who on Yankees Twitter who like to play all their video games on easy and just don't know what it's like to face any <laughs> adversity. Um, because, you know, they'll be calling for like Aaron Judge to be traded. Aaron Judge is playing quite well right now. He does not yeah. need to be traded. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And that's the sort of stuff where it's like, um, I want people to be emotional. I just think that like the best version of emotion is one where you're also right. Um, and, and and that means like, I just want people to yell and scream about the things that, um, they should be yelling and screaming about that are like, you know, someone did a conventional wisdom that's dumb. I think that's the stuff that like, we should be able to team up with, you know, like the more traditional bro fans to like, get rid of the stupid in baseball where like your team bungles a situation like that. Cause that's what it is. Like a lot of bunting leads to a lot of bungling and there are fewer white Sox runs on the board this year than there should be given the level of the talent on that team, despite the fact that they're in first place by yeah, a mile. Yeah. Well, over the course um, of a season, I mean, yeah. if you're talking about 1.14 versus 1.5 runs times 180 games, I mean, that would yeah, that would that's pre- exactly it. But I get your point. Well, right? That presupposes that you're bunting Doing it a lot. every game and in every yeah. situation, right? But I mean, even if you're only if you run, doing, if you it, lose a run a week. Yeah, like, that's right. still meaningful, right? That over the the course of a season, that's a that's a, a big deal. You know, that's um, something your pitchers have to overcome. That's something your offense has to generate a different way. That's it's just it's a negative that doesn't seem to have the risk reward that goes along with with it. Now, that being said, my first instinct on this whole bunting is bad thing was actually a pushback again because I grew up um with a a different kind of way of the game being played and maybe it was just as dumb then. I we we did talk off air and I I brought this up and I think we should share it with with the people at home as well. Uh I kind of threw out this question like okay, so we're looking at 2019 data that's within the context of the 2019 player and the 2019 team and the 2019 strategy and approach. Uh, what if we were to go back in time to the pre-steroid era and look at these? Would those numbers be different? Would those run expectancies be different because they were able to bunt better or they were faster and so they were able to capitalize more on a bunt than players are today? Um, and, and you know, you went and took a look at some of this and what was it that you found? Yeah, um, so we do see some really weird things that kind of show up in terms of things being shockingly similar. Um, So the thing that makes for a really good comparison is um, let's just look at what are the odds that a particular dude will score from a particular base? Um, Because that kind of helps us to eliminate a little bit of the fuzz about like people after him and general run environment. Just like, will we be able to play the guy from second? Um, And if you look at those odds... Um, well, some interesting stuff happens. Um, hold on a second. I need to, I need to make sure I actually grab the correct number here and don't mislead everybody. So what I'm looking at here is actually, um, it's not perfectly comparable, um, but it's really close. So we've basically, I've taken Tom Tango's, um, run expectancy data. It goes from 1950 to 2015, but still, I think that the post steroid current era kind of like captures like a pretty good modern baseball sort of like 
thing, even though we've, we're missing a couple of recent years. Um, so like, um, no out a runner on second, um, average number of runs to score actually is also pretty much the same. Um, third base, no out, uh, average number of runs to score pretty much the same. Um, right. So if we, um, if we kind of look at those, it's like, it, it tends to tell us like the game's actually pretty much the same. I, I'm looking at some of these data and it's like, I was giving some caveats, but actually I'm looking at it more and like, we're in a very similar run environment from situational places that we were pre nineties. Right. Um, and there are lots of reasons why, for that. Um, players today are faster. Uh, there might be a bias for fast players that might have previously existed, but today's players are faster, um, even if they're also stronger. Um, we're just better at finding athletes or better at turning athletes into good baseball players than we used to be. Mm-hmm. That's what good coaching and good scouting have created. Um, cynically more willing to sacrifice long-term uh, health for short-term uh, talent. But uh, that can be something maybe we talk about in another. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, another, another thing and is like, uh, you know, episode. we want to talk about all these different reasons why guys don't have careers or as long as like uh, it used to be that if you were really good um, when you were 25, um, when you were 35, you were probably still good enough to be in the league. But the, the reality is now is if you're pretty good at 25, the aging curve, you know, everyone's really good. Right. Um, yep. And that that's why we end up in these sorts of things. It's like and that means that all of our predisposed like here's how things used to be you know when i grew up i heard so much sports talk radio and so much of my parents been like my dad telling me like yeah you know like look at this play with the royals and cardinals isn't this call stupid and be like (laughs) yes and that's how my childhood worked for a lot of it um so it's like you know a lot of it was kind of experienced secondhand I i grew up with this really funny um a rot rookie poster in my room actually <laughs> and um i think that because of that you know a lot of other kids who've enjoyed baseball and basically saw baseball as a thing that you play on saturdays and that your parents love you know like your your understanding of the game is very much going to be very modeled after theirs who is it that gets really upset when uh people don't follow the unwritten rules um eric hosmer probably had a very similar social understanding of baseball that i did right mm, um yeah and yeah, I, I think that it's really important to understand though that like um the game and how um p- the people who play it has changed a whole lot. But like in the wrong in the long run we can still use the same approaches to see that like no, like people being better at bunting or being better at hit for con- hitting for contact hasn't actually changed this stuff as dramatically as we think it yeah. has. In yeah, some I was surprised. Ways. I was yeah. very surprised. I yeah. would have thought that if you look back to an era where bunting was more prevalent and small ball was more the the way of generating runs and, and things know, like, like that, you'd yeah. see a higher correlation, but it seems to yeah, be the same. Yeah, because teams would be yeah. more willing to sell out to get that guy in second across the plate. And it turns out that you know, we're actually in a pretty similar state in terms of the people who are on base being likely to score. Uh, and I think, you know, more of them are scoring via the long ball than being scored via like uh, singles and stuff like that. But like, still, um, I think the problem today is that we just have fewer runners on base because strikeouts have gotten really high. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's that's the problem. There it is. Let's fix that. Yeah, um, <laughs> we can start maybe with uh, a really clearly um, articulated sticky substance rule rather than this nonsense. All right, I want to get to our uh, pass fail segment, which is going to uh, sadly bring us to the end of this episode, and we'll save our off the books for another time. Um, but this is one that's very interesting to me, and I think that I feel differently about it than I expected to going in, but I want to get your take on it. Um, uh, we're seeing a ton of these City Connect uniforms come out 
Um, they uh, just released both of the Chicago uh, uniforms, um, the White Sox first, and then they just recently unveiled the Cubs. Um, where do you stand on, on this whole concept and idea? Okay, so I have kind of like a mixed opinion on this. First and foremost, I actually really like alternate unis. I care deeply about um, the clothes that people playing sports wear. (laughs) (laughs) Let's make it sound as awkward as possible. Yeah, I actually really love um, seeing cool new unis. So I watch a lot of soccer. Mm -hmm. I watch a lot of basketball and kind of like the sort of like the unis have looked the same for 20 years. Vibe does not persist there. Um, And I'm really interested in like there are a lot of really cool alt unis in uh, in basketball or like alt kits and soccer. Um, I think what typically they do really well though, um, is, you know, they'll have a good conceit, right. And that conceit won't be like outwardly cringy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's as simple as that, you know, like I think of like the Milwaukee Bucks cream unis, um, and there's like a particularly like reason why it exists Mm -hmm. and they have found someone who's good at making it happen pull it off now who makes those nike um who makes a lot of the interesting soccer unis that i really like i mean not all of them are nike uh nike has some really boring soccer kits actually (laughs) but you know like they they did a really good job of like landing the ship on some great like nigeria soccer kits but Mm. also a lot of just like really cool third kits for like english and spanish teams um i think they will produce some really cool alt unis for baseball um the thing that I'm comparing them against in my head then is like obviously that thing. But I also think about like, you know, those like players weekend unis where every single team has the same black and or white unis that were just oh, awful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I am hoping, here's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I'm hoping that this unveiling means that doesn't happen. Mm. And if we don't get those stupid all black, all white unis that are just horrendous, it's a win. Like straight up, so it's, it's a, a win, win if that happens indirectly, not because yep. these are are great, but because it uh, prevents something worse from happening. Yep. No, I think the defend our neighborhood stitching on the Wrigleyville unis are really stupid, um, and <laughs> just because it sounds so Mister Rogers goes to war. Um, <laughs> I do like the White Sox ones. I'm really interested in seeing what like I, I like the Marlins one. Yeah, um, I'm really interested to see what they can pull off. And I think the thing that I generally believe though with baseball is that they need to go for it more. Yeah. Um, I hate gray unis. I do not want a single team to wear gray ever again. Um, I just think they're bad. Um, I think teams should have white and they should have bright colors. Mm. And um, gray is awful. So, I, I, yeah, um, I'm not exactly a purist or anything. But that's that's kind of my belief. I, I want to see what they can pull off for Atlanta. Atlanta has a whole lot of opportunity there. Yeah, I, um, I just worry that they're going to wind up emphasizing the wrong thing with with know. them but yeah. you never know I, I think that i think that basically though like people in atlanta like love their sports so i mean like same thing like there's probably a lot of uh, potential that could be tapped for like the phillies um i want to see what they could pull off for them you know for teams that have like no tradition or no history or like have some cool colors in their color palette and also no tradition or history yeah yeah i'm looking at you colorado colorado um, is the first team that i'm not fully mind. looking at you arizona you've got some <laughs> history um but like again i think that there's a lot of interesting potential for a lot of these clubs to have some cool one-off maybe not all of the old heads are gonna like them but who cares um unis and that's what i want them to go for yeah i don't want and 
I don't want, I don't like Wrigleyville because it seems like it's taking the wrong direction, but I don't think it's terrible. Mm, okay. Fair enough. I, I thought I was going to hate them. I, I uh, thought they were going to be gimmicky and silly and, um, I've really come around on it. Now I do fear that it's, it's kind of like MLB's thing to take a cool concept and make it like the dad version, it. you know, like the hello we fellow the kids. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the way Tony La Russa looked in, in the white Sox, uh, you, uni like kind of as a symbol of the way that they're going to, uh, pull this off or not pull it off. I love the concept. I love them going for it. Um, and I didn't think I was going to, I really didn't. Uh, so, uh, yeah, for me, this is a, a pass, um, like not a, I'm passing on it, like a pass versus pass fail. Yeah. And, um, I, I do worry that in some cases it's going to come off a little cringy, but hopefully not so much so that it's abandoned because I'm with you. I, I don't really, you know, as is well-documented both in what, in my writing, uh, with pitcher list and here, I am a Red Sox fan and, uh, I, I love the tradition of the home uniform and I've always, always hated their road uniforms. I just don't think they're attractive and there's so much possibility. They're the red socks. They have these, this, I love it when they wear the red jerseys. Well, don't, don't they have a good, like, isn't there like Patriot day? Uniform? Yeah. Like essentially their city connect. Their one? City, I thought that was yeah. good. The city connect one I thought was really cool. It was very, um, off putting at first when I saw it because of the colors. And then I was like, Oh, right. Duh. And it made perfect sense. So I, I also like the colors. I, I gotta yeah, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite color combination in like all of sports is like the pink and black and blue Miami Heat like all unis <laughs> that the um the Marlins need to steal from more. Um, yeah, like those Miami Vice colors with like black as yeah, the base. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, what yeah, I yeah. want. Uh, I don't so, hate like, the color scheme that the Sox had. It's just weird to see your team's City Connect jersey be just a complete departure from the team's actual colors. But yeah, I, that's normal, I do think more normal in soccer, I will say. And that's kind of like I'm primed for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess with that context, it makes more sense. But no, I thought I was going to hate it. And I absolutely don't hate it. And, and I love these kinds of ideas. Now, I'll tell you what I do hate. And this is where the cynic in me is always going to come <laughs> out. And that I don't think oh, this is being done for altruistic purposes. I don't think this is being done to rejuvenate the game. I think this is being done to sell a whole bunch of merch, which I don't love, but you know what? It, it, at the end of the day, if it winds up uh, being something exciting that gets people into, into, you know, wanting to wear this thing to the stadium and, and go see their team play and root for it. And there's fun to be had, whatever. Uh, if, if something good comes of, uh, of a, a kind of a greedy uh, money grab, then so be it. I'm, I'm okay with it. They're all money grabs. I think I just want them to be selling something good. Um, it, you know, like I wouldn't be cynical about most other like consumer purchases um, where I don't like think about it that way. You know, it's like Diet Coke comes out with some new flavors. Is it a money grab? Yes. Sure, they're grabbing right, my right, money because so, yeah. I buy Diet Coke, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, my, my favorite local brewery puts out a new beer. Is it a money grab? No, it's just a new beer. Um I think that whenever like, you know, a, there's a new line of unis, if they're good, it's good. If they're bad, we make fun of them and we bully them into taking them off of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know. Like I said, I did I thought it was going to be super gimmicky and, and awful, but um I've I've definitely come around and I every time a new one kind of gets released, I'm I'm excited about it. And I like the I like the Cubs one because it's to me, it's actually a, a kind of a cool throwback to a different style of jersey for a different era uh, in I'm, baseball. I'm 
I'm laying my stake is um, I want to see some interesting NL West unis. You got a team or anyone you want to call out that you're like kind of hopeful for? Oh, that's, maybe they get to do a cool one. That's a great question. Um, I was, I mean, I was thinking immediately of Colorado, uh, yeah, just yeah. because they have. There's just so much they can Purple's go so nice. in purple. Yeah. It, it, yeah, their colors are pretty cool, and I think they could do something really like majestic uh, with it. Also, the Denver Nuggets have a history of great unis. I think there there could be something really cool. Yeah. There. So I'm I'm agreeing with you, um, Colorado, and then I I. I mean, I love the the old Diamondbacks with the purple yeah, and like yeah, the teal. Yeah. The it's Randy Johnson Diamondbacks. Yeah, yeah. I I think that there is a lot of interesting history to dig up properly there that I, I want them to try. So yeah, that's that's what I'm hoping for. Well, I, I also think it's cool that they're kind of revealing them slowly and not just like over a weekend, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is kind of the way they've usually done these sorts of things. Well, anyway, uh, we have come to the end of this episode. We're actually a little over time. That's fine. Uh, it's Duh. always a fun conversation. We uh, well, I, I guess it's not overtime if it's always this long this is just time <laughs> <laughs> but um so thanks for listening and being along on this ride with us again uh on this episode 19 big 2-0 next time next week we're going to be releasing the big 2-0 uh so uh again thanks for listening and alex if you could just let the people know where they could find us well they can find you on twitter at the corked mat i'm on twitter at chase underscore rate and most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.